Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our series on the book of Ephesians. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy! Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see those of you here in the building as well as those of you here online. We're glad that you're here. We're, we're glad that we can be together, that we can worship together, that we can fellowship together, that we can celebrate with one another. We're in the middle of this series on the book of Ephesians, and I just want to start, just share with you uh, about uh, someone who wrote a book hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So Sir Thomas More, the uh, England's famous Lord Chancellor under Henry VIII, that's in the 1500s, said that the book that I'm going to tell you about was one of three books that everybody ought to own. Ignatius of Loyola, the, the founder of the Jesuit priesthood, read a chapter a day from it, and he regularly gave away copies of this book as gifts when books were very expensive. And the Methodist, the founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, said that it was the best summary of the Christian life that he had ever read. Now, we're talking about Thomas Akempis's The Imitation of Christ. That devotional classic has been translated into over 50 languages. Little is known of Thomas himself, and he is known for little else, although this one contribution to the history of the church is far and away enough. Now, called the calamitous century, the 14th century into which Thomas was born felt like a shadow of the apocalypse Constant wars, repeated bouts of the Black Plague drove the population down. A great schism tore the church apart. In rural areas, there were roving bands of marauders who knew no restraints. And there were peasant revolts that kept the urban centers reeling with confusion. Early on, Thomas gave himself to a monastery where he served God. He wrote four small books between 1420 and 1427, and they were collected, and they were given the name of the first booklet that he wrote, The Imitation of Christ. So in The Imitation, Thomas combines a painfully accurate analysis of the soul with a clear vision of the fullness of the divine life. He does not describe the spiritual life in a linear line methodology, but rather if one step precedes, as if one step precedes another, but instead he repeats and embellishes themes, a lot like a composer of a symphony. Thomas lays out the primary requirement for the spiritually serious follower of Jesus. He says, we must imitate Christ's life and his ways if we are to be truly enlightened and set free from the darkness of our own hearts. Let it be the most important thing we do then to reflect on the life of Jesus Christ. Now, throughout the book, Thomas's vice is consistent. He said, listen, don't trust that you know what's best. Trust God. Don't just, don't indulge yourself, but follow God. He said, don't put yourself forward, but be humble. Instead, you must put your full trust in God out of your love for God's will and yield to his leadership in your life. Now, with that introduction, 
to the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, I want to tell you, it begins with these words. Be imitators of God. That's right. The very beginning of the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, be imitators of God. Now, as you read through this chapter, yes, we will see some commands about what one should do to live like God and his son Jesus, but we'll also see something that I think is more important because we will see and we will hear that he calls the followers of Jesus by several different descriptive names. And those names are important because they tell us something about our identity, who we are as followers of Jesus, as, as imitators of God. And when we know our identity, how God sees us and how he wants us to live into that identity, then we can actually live out what we say we are. Now, as I was thinking about this, I, I, I was drawn to reflect on uh, the 2011 dramatic movie, The Help. That movie illustrates the power of having words of identity spoken over us. Now, if you're familiar with the movie, it's set in Mississippi, in Jackson, Mississippi, in the 1960s, and it illustrates the racial disparities between African-American maids and the white families that they served. And in the movie, there's a powerful scene where Abilene Clark, played by Viola Davis, is in a rocking chair with little Mae Mobley, the five-year-old daughter of the family that she serves as their maid. And in that scene, Abilene cuddles May and in a gentle way speaks these words to her. You is kind, she says. You is smart and you is important. Abilene tells that little girl what her own parents aren't telling her. She's speaking words of identity over her and little May repeats them. I am kind, I am smart, and I am important. You know, that, that scene is so moving because what Abilene tells little May about herself is what Abilene has come to recognize about who she is, about her own identity, despite a culture of racism that continually tells her that she's not smart, that she's not important. And eventually, she recognizes that she is kind and smart and important. And it changes the trajectory of Abilene's life. So I want us to look at these words of identity that God inspired the Apostle Paul to speak over the followers of Jesus then in the first century and over us today in every generation of followers of Jesus. The first words of identity the Apostle Paul speaks over us is that we are beloved children. He says this, beloved children walk in love. Let me, let me read the verses. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So let's focus on what Paul says about who we are first. He says, we're beloved children. That word beloved means 
dearly loved. Do you know that you are a dearly loved child of God? Did you know that you're loved by God just for who you are, not because of what you do for him, just for who you are? Consider this. God, the all-knowing, all-seeing, ever-present God of the universe knows everything about you. He knows all of the great things about you and all of the not-so-great things about you. God knows your successes and God knows your failures. He knows the simple things that you've done against him and against others. God knows all about us. And he still calls you beloved, dearly loved children. John the apostle understood this unconditional love that God has for all of us. And so he wrote these words. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. We're beloved children of God. You are a dearly loved child of God. Now, don't believe that because I said it. Believe it because the very word of God says that about you. And I want you to say this. I'm going to give you this phrase, and then we'll repeat it together. I am a dearly loved child of God. Let's say it together. I am a dearly loved child of God. God wants you to believe that. Now, so, of each of us, if each of us is a dearly loved child of God, what does it mean? What well, means we live like God would live. We imitate God. We walk in love as Christ loved us. And this shouldn't be a shock to us because Jesus himself told us this. And the Bible says it over and over. In fact, again, the Apostle John, he said this, we love because God first loved us. We have learned to love because God first loved us. It's through God that we've experienced what love is, maybe communicated through another human being, but that love comes from God. As Christ followers, we're called by Jesus to walk in love. And he commanded us with these words. He says, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. You see, our identity is that we're dearly loved. And because of that identity, we have come to believe in and to follow Jesus. And following Jesus means we follow his command to love others. In fact, Jesus says, knowing our identity then, we, that we are dearly loved, should lead us to love others. And, and that identity will be spoken to the rest of the world by what we do. He says this, when we love one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we are dearly loved, therefore we should walk in love toward others and live like Jesus lived. That's the, the first word of identity that we read in the fifth chapter. The next words that the Apostle Paul speaks over us are that we are God's holy people. And we know this about that identity. God's holy people avoid sin. So let's see what Paul wrote. 
But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For if you can be sure no moral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is in a is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So let no one deceive you with empty words, but for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So again, let's focus on this word of identity that he speaks over us. At the end of verse 3, Paul calls us God's holy people. So what does it mean to be holy? Well, to be holy literally means to be set apart. And specifically, to be set apart from what? To be set apart from sin, but for God and God's purpose in our lives. To be set apart from sin then means that our sins have been dealt with and they have been through Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins and my sins and for the sins of the entire world. And when we come to believe in Jesus... We have to acknowledge first that we're sinners, that we need to be forgiven, and that that forgiveness comes through Jesus. So again, you are God's holy people. And again, don't believe that because I say it. Believe it because it's in God's word. And so this is what I want us to say, and I'll say it, and then we can repeat it together. I am God's holy person. So let's try it. I am God's holy person. Believe that about you. You're not made holy by what you do. You're made holy by what Jesus has done for you. Now, of course, the identity of being a holy person, a person set apart, means that we should do everything within our power to avoid sin. So in other words, we should be like God and that we should be imitators of God, imitators of Jesus. And that's why Paul does get rather prescriptive here. He prescribes that there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality in us. He goes on and says that there should not be any kind of impurity in us. There shouldn't be any greed in us. He says that our language needs to be free from obscenities, from foolish talk, and for, from coarse joking. You know, that pretty much covers every kind of sin. What we, how we sin with our thoughts, how we sin with our actions, how we sin with the words that we speak. But as I acknowledged earlier, God knows all of our sins and he knows that we are still sinners. And so thankfully God does not expect us to be perfect, even though scripture tells us that we should seek to be perfect like our father in heaven is perfect. But God knows that we won't be perfect and he knows that we will sin, and he has provided a way for us to resolve this reality and still stay in a relationship with him. He has provided this through the act of confession. The Bible says this, if we confess our sins, God can always be trusted to forgive us and take away our sins. So think that through. God has provided for us a way to deal with our own sin nature. And so it's incumbent upon us to look at our lives and look at our actions, look at our words, look at our thoughts, 
and say, God, I know that I've sinned and ask for forgiveness for those sins. Through confession of sins, we are forgiven and our identity as God's holy people still remains. The third word of identity that the Apostle Paul speaks over us is that we're children of light. And we know this about that identity. Children of light please God. So let's look at verses 8 through 10. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out then what pleases the Lord. So to say that our identity is that we are children of light directs us to a theological truth about the Bible uh, that we read in the Bible. The Bible tells us that God is light and there is no darkness in God at all. Now, in this metaphor, light represents everything that is good, everything that is true, everything that is holy. Darkness represents everything that is evil. That is false. That is unholy. So having the identity of being children of light also makes a theological statement about our spiritual state. It makes a statement that basically says that we have salvation. Remember what Jesus said. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. To be children of light means we know the light of the world, Jesus. And thus, when we know him and believe in him and follow him, we know that our eternity is set. So, you're a child of light. Now, again, don't take my word for for it. Take it from God's word. So here's the statement I want us all to repeat. I am a child of light. So let's try it. I am a child of light. All of these are your and my identity as followers of Jesus. Now, notice that Jesus said, what Jesus said when to his followers. He said, we will never walk in darkness. Following Jesus then means we're imitators of God and imitators of him. And so walking, or in other words, living our lives And goodness, righteousness, and truth will be the things that we do that please God. Because children of light please God. The Bible tells us this. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Pleasing God. Now, with all of the, as with all of these words about our identities as Christians, we'll never be perfect as we seek to please God by walking in the light. I remember back in, in the 1990s, the Christian band DC Talk re- released a song, and it, it stuck with me all these years. It was called In the Light, and, and the lyrics sort of capture the, the tension that Christ followers have. So I'll read a couple of lines from it. It goes this way. 
tell me what's going on inside of me. I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm my suspicions that I'm still a man in need of a savior. I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heaven. Oh Lord, be my light and be my salvation because all I want is to be in the light. To be children of light who please God. We have to deal with the fact that we will have failures and we need to confess those sins and ask for forgiveness and then return to walking in the light, following Jesus, imitating God. Now, this brings us to the last phrase of our identity that Paul spoke over the church and that he speaks over every Christ follower since. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so from this passage, we understand that spirit-filled people worship God. Now, let me read the entire section. He writes, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, Paul pointed out that when a person becomes a follower of Jesus by believing in and following him, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in that person as a guarantee of the promise of eternal life. When Jesus told his disciples that he would be leaving them, he also told them that he would ask God the Father to send to his followers the Holy Spirit. He said, you will know the Spirit, the Spirit will live with you, the Spirit will live in you. In other words, As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we will be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, when you believed in Jesus, you were filled with the Spirit. And God's Word commands that we know Him and that we follow Him. And it tells us that by faith in Him, we are filled with the Spirit. So the statement that I want us all to repeat is, I am filled with the Spirit. So let's try it. I am filled. Filled with the Spirit. Now, I always tell people there's, there's nothing freaky about this, nothing to be scared about being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gentle teacher. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. The Holy Spirit is a guide. And the Holy Spirit wants to guide us into a, a friendship, a, a relationship, a, a close and intimate relationship with God where we follow him. In other words, where we imitate him. And that means we will embrace the qualities that the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, you can find this in the fifth chapter of Galatians, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what the Spirit produces in us if we allow the Spirit to produce that in us. And we do have to allow the Spirit to lead us and to guide us and to teach us. Living a life producing that kind of fruit means we will give glory to God and that we'll worship God. And that's what Paul is describing in this passage in chapter 5. Now, if we were to read the rest of chapter 5 and even the first part of chapter 6, we would see that 
Paul writes about how we are supposed to be imitators of God in many of the relationships that we have in life. For instance, he, he deals with marriage relationships and he tells husbands and wives how they're supposed to be imitators of God. And then he, he deals with parent and children relationships and he tells parents and children how they're supposed to be imitators of God within that relationship. And he even goes into something that was common then. He goes into the, the area of slaves and masters and how they're supposed to relate to one another. Even there's a huge power imbalance there. But the, the big piece of this and also is set off in chapter in verse 21 of chapter 5 where it says we're supposed to submit to one another but I, I really like the way one translation says it honor Christ and put others first so those relationships, how we become imitators of God in our relationships with our parents, with our children, with our friends, with our family, with our bosses, with our employees, whoever it is, with our spouses, our neighbors, is that we honor Christ by putting the other person first. That's what imitators of God do. Now, Paul gets very prescriptive in this chapter about how we're supposed to live as Christ followers. And I'll be candid and tell you that my concern with that kind of teaching sometimes is that we begin to think that being a, being a Christ follower is about following a bunch of rules. You know, do this, don't do that. In fact, over the decades, over the centuries, people have sort of said that, you know, being a follower of Jesus is about behavior modification. But, but that's not what being a follower of Jesus is about. It's not about modifying your behavior. Being a follower of Jesus is about having a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And hearing how God sees us helps us understand what that relationship looks like, what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's not about rules. It's about a relationship. That's why he speaks these words of identity over us so that we can see how God sees us and we can be reminded of how God looks at us and let those words of identity inform what it looks like to follow him. So let me close just with those words of identity. I want to read them over you. And then I want to move into a time of prayer. So let me just read these. You are a beloved child of God. That means you're dearly loved by God. You are one of God's holy people. That means that God has set you apart for him. You are a child of the light that means you've been saved by Jesus, who is the light of the world. And you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that means that your salvation in heaven is guaranteed. And now, our challenge is to imitate God by walking in that amazing identity which God sees us as his children. So I do want to close in a pr prayer, and I would pray for all of us to walk in that identity, but I recognize that, you know, if there's somebody who's never said, well, I believe in Jesus and want to follow him, then 
then you really can't have that identity until you decide to do that. And so I'm going to start off with a prayer for anybody who wants to put their trust in Jesus, to believe in him and follow him. And if you do decide to pray that prayer, please let us know so we can give you some material to encourage you in that. But then I'm going to pray for all of us that we would walk in this identity. So if you would bow your heads. God, we thank you for how you see each and every one of us. And for that person who's never decided to believe in and follow Jesus, never made that commitment known to God, I I invite them to pray this prayer. Very simply, just repeat these words to God wherever you are silently. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died to pay for my sins and that he rose again from the dead. I accept his forgiveness. And now I want to follow him all the days of my life. Now I'm going to move into a prayer for all of us. So Father, you have given us these words of identity, of how you see us, that we are beloved children of God, that we are your holy people, that we are children of the light who follow Jesus, the light of the world, that you have given us your spirit to fill us and help us follow you. So help us be imitators of God and walk in our identity the way you see us so that we can give you glory and we can serve you and your kingdom. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.